Somebody humming that. Way to go. That's good. So do you know that today is the last uh, last Sunday as we as we finish up our series, Cross Church Goes Fishing? Uh, next week, we have a very special guest uh, that will be speaking, uh, Dr. June Venser. Looking forward to that. But today's the last day in this uh, series. And, you know, we've been talking about fishing, about going fishing and introducing people to Jesus Christ. And, you know, we just took a group to Banff. Some of you may or may not know that, but there were 33 of us. And uh, I, I've got some pictures here. Uh, okay, don't worry, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing, well, there might be one. So here's the first one, and this is, uh, you can't see very well on that picture. Uh, you can see a little bit better in this one, but here we are all on the, um, on the, the glacier. It's uh, the Columbia Ice Fields. It's absolutely fantastic. There's Pastor Chris on the end, showing off. See that? And there's me hiding in the background. And uh, yeah, we had just an absolutely thrilling time. And then here's another picture. And we are, uh, we are actually uh, across the valley from Lake Louise, up, up the side of a mountain. We caught the, caught the chairlift up. We had breakfast first, a phenomenal breakfast. And then we went up the side of the mountain in a chairlift, an open chairlift, which I thought was pretty, pretty uh, nervy of me, letting these kids go on these chairlifts. But uh, they made it up to the top and back. But as we got to, when we got to the top, we took a picture and we did a devotional based on Luke nine twenty three, and it's it's all about um, about following Jesus Christ. If anybody wants to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Jesus. And it's actually a thrilling time. Um, it was cold there <laughs> at night. Yeah, what a shock that was. Um, but still, we had fun. We went to Lake Louise, and uh, half the group were able to walk up to the tea house there at the Plain of the Six Glaciers, and we had uh, apple cake. It was absolutely delicious and just thrilling to, to be there all together. And here's, here's my uh, brother and sister and my little brother, Caleb. Yeah, they're sitting there enjoying themselves together. I think Caleb was enjoying himself. Um, but that was pretty amazing. And in case you don't know this, that is, uh, that is Christy and Nick. Uh, Nick's on the right. Yes. And in the middle is little Caleb. And uh, there's Tyler. Uh, this is what we do with the bad kids. We just put them in the back of the van and close the door. Um, and no, I'm just joking. Tyler's not bad. And then there, of course, is Phoenix. And I'll tell you, never saw Phoenix laugh and smile so much. And here he is right in the front row. Good to see you, Phoenix. God bless you. Glad you made it to church. And he taught me a new dance. But I'm not going to make him come up here and do it because it's embarrassing enough when I do it. But we had so much fun. It was, it was truly a, a blessed time. A meeting with God and getting to know each other. I said to the kids, look, I'm not in the vacation business. If you want a vacation, you know, go, go to Marlin Travel or wherever, and you can book your own vacation. But I'm not in the travel business. I'm not in the vacation business. The work that I'm doing is I'm trying to introduce people to Jesus Christ, and I'm trying, by the power of God, to build a family, a safe place where young people can come 
and get to know Jesus, explore their faith, and begin to grow in their faith. That's what this trip was all about. And so I want to say a big thank you to all of you who invested in that. And I think we had some pretty amazing moments. Uh, Caitlin, I see you clapping your hands. That's how I feel in my heart. It was just really, really thrilling. And um, to see to see Phoenix smiling like that, man, I mean, on Friday night, he wasn't sure if he was even coming. In fact, he wasn't coming. But um, I talked him into it. And uh, Nick Hack went at 5 o'clock in the morning to go and get him. And, and uh, we, we made this huge investment in the lives of these kids. Why are we doing this? This is a lot of work. You, you realize I haven't stayed in a tent for 10 years. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm not as, uh, as agile as I used to be. Uh, I mean, this is how I was in the morning when I got up. It was absolutely, it was horrendous. Of course, none of the kids were awake to see it. They were all sleeping. But uh, I, was, I was really, it was really tough. But why did we do it? And I warned the kids it was going to get down to five degrees that night. But no, nobody seemed to really understand what that means. Or they seemed to miss that line. So thankfully, brought extra blankets and kept them warm. But uh, it, was, it was two degrees that night. And, and some said it was even colder than that. Um, a great deal of discomfort. Poor Sakona. She twisted her ankle on uh, at Johnson Canyon, like almost the first day out. It was only the first day of hiking. But you know what? She was, are you still there, Sakona? You okay? Yes, waving at me and still smiling. Even through it all, she kept on smiling and encouraging us. Most of the kids, I got to tell you, are not used to being told what to do. <laughs> Hello. That was a challenge all by itself. But I said, you have to listen to me because when everybody is doing the same thing, going in the same direction, that's when we really have the, the most fun. It's drama. We had, who knew there was so much drama in Banff? <laughs> Actually, we, we brought it with us. Uh, it was, how many know that wherever there's a group of girls, there's drama? <laughs> True? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, calm down <laughs> before we get some more drama going here. Hey, you know what's funny? You know what's funny? So at 5.45 a.m., we knew that rain was coming. At 5.45, I wake up, no rain. And I bow my head and I said, Lord, I just want to say thank you for keeping the rain back for us so that we can pack up our hundred tents. And then as soon as I was done and I said amen, it started to rain. (laughs) So I had to laugh. uh, I had to laugh at that. I'm still not sure about the theology around that one, but there it was. Why do we do it? Why do we go through all of this effort? Why do we, why do we put ourselves out? I mean, it was, it, was, it, was, it was tough in a lot of ways. It was fantastic, but it was tough. Why do we do it? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus told us to. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't cherry pick the things that you like. You can't say, well, I, I'm, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to do this because I like that. I'm going to do this because I like that. That I'm not going to do because I don't enjoy that. And that I'm not going to do. Here, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you accept that he is your Lord, not just your Savior. You know, we, we recognize that he saves us from our sin and that we, we enter into uh, eternal life. We enter into the new life that's ours in Christ because we're saved. But but understand that he's also our Lord. And as our Lord, we obey him. We obey Jesus. I obey Jesus. Say that with me. I obey Jesus. That's what it means to be, means to be a follower of Christ. And the very first thing 
The very first instruction that Jesus gives to his new disciples is this. You will be fishing for people. That's how Jesus begins his ministry, and that's how Jesus ends his ministry. He ends his ministry with virtually the same instructions. We sometimes call it the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's what we do. We go and we make disciples. That's who we are as Christians. Now, here's the problem. Is in most churches now, they, they will do everything but that. In so many churches, when you go to church, it's a psychology lesson. It's how you can be more successful, how you can be more happy, how you can have what you want, how to make sure, make sure your kids are good, how you can be a great wife, a great husband, a great this, a great that, and how you can have success. But that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught us to obey him. And it begins, folks, with these very words. Go and win people to Christ. Go introduce people to Jesus. We are, as I said before, ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus is the king and he has a kingdom. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you belong to the kingdom of God. You belong to the kingdom of Christ. When you became a Christian, suddenly there is, there is no more um, uh, tribalism. In other words, you can't say, well, I'm, I'm a British Christian or I'm a Canadian Christian. I'm an Aboriginal Christian. I'm a Filipino Christian. No, when you become a Christian, your citizenship is in heaven. You belong to Jesus Christ. Christ is your king and you do what Christ the king tells you to do. Would anybody say amen to that? Amen. That's who we are. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And God calls us then to be his ambassadors. We go and we tell others about our king and about this new kingdom. Actually, it was Esitu that pointed that out when we had our time of sharing. I said, did anybody learn anything? And that's exactly what Esitu pointed out to all of us. Excellent, excellent insight. When you become a Christian, you become part of the kingdom and you start obeying Christ the king. Now... One of the things that, uh, that I remember as a boy watching the Billy Graham crusade, some of you remember, every time there's a Billy Graham crusade on, every, the whole family sat around the TV, Gord, you're nodding. We sat around the TV, we watched the Billy Graham crusade, and Billy Graham always had a famous person on, some rich person, some, some actor, some famous singer. And we would listen to this very attractive man or woman share their testimony about what Jesus had done for them. And at the end of it all, you think, man, you know, that's the kind of people that God loves, those rich people, those famous people, those good-looking people. I got news for you. When you start following the life of Christ, nowhere does it say, Jesus went out looking for the good-looking people to add them to his kingdom. You never hear Jesus saying that Jesus went looking for rich people, that they could become Christians. In fact, if anything, you discover that the rich people, they didn't really want Jesus. They didn't want to give up anything to follow Christ. When you you follow the life of Christ, you don't see Jesus saying anything about being desirable first. In fact, if anything, it's quite the opposite. God, Jesus went after after the, the low life, the scum of the earth. You know, like, like most of us. Jesus went after smelly people. 
That's what we had with us in Banff. A lot of smelly young people. You say, did Jesus really go after smelly people? Yeah, he went. The first people were fishermen. Is there anybody more smelly than fishermen? Those are the ones that Jesus went after. They weren't educated. They, I, I don't think that they were necessarily good-looking people. They certainly weren't rich people. And yet, those are the ones that Jesus went after. So here's what I want to do today. As I want to show you who it is that God wants to add to his kingdom. I want to show you this morning how to win people to Christ. Using the very methods of Christ. And it begins by you and I understanding that Jesus wants us to go after all people. So how did he do it? Well, before I can tell you how he did it, I need you to first understand the heart of Christ. And here's what it says in Luke 5.32. Jesus says, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous. Because there's a lot of people like that, all right? There's a lot of people who say, Pastor, I'm a good person. I don't, I don't really need what you're, I don't need what the church has to offer. I, the church is a crutch. How many have heard that? The church is a crutch, and I don't really need that. Well, you know what? If you think you don't need it, then know this. Jesus is going to pass you by because you don't recognize your need of him. Here's the ones that Jesus calls, and here's the ones that respond to Jesus. Look at that. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know that they're sinners and need to repent. Did you get that? Jesus has come for those who know that they're sinners and need to repent. When I was eight years old and I gave my heart to Jesus, and the pastor said, do any of you kids, this was at the Boys Brigade program, it was on a Monday night. Any of you kids want to ask Jesus into your heart? Anybody here want to, want to have all their sins washed away? I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt at eight years of age that I was a sinner and I needed to repent. I knew that I, knew that I had rebellion in my heart. I didn't have to be an adult to understand that. I knew I needed Jesus. And so as soon as that pastor said, Jesus can wash away your sins this very evening... If you ask Jesus into your heart, I, I, I jumped to my feet and I said, pick me. Don't pass me by. Make sure, I want to get this. I want to get what you're, what you're offering tonight. And so that night I became a Christian. That night I, I confessed my sins. I said, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need to repent. I mean, at eight years old, I mean, how, what kind of sin could you really do? I haven't robbed any banks. I haven't, I haven't stolen any cars. I haven't committed adultery and no fornication. Like, like none of the big sins. I mean, you wouldn't call me a notorious sinner. But I was a sinner nonetheless. Now, here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. They think that Christianity is only for bad people. Only the bad people have to repent. Here's the thing that you need to know. Every one of us here today is a sinner in need of God's grace. Every one of us. Not some of us. Not that guy sitting beside you. You. You're the one. You're the one. You said, Pastor, I'm not as bad as a lot of people. Yeah, but you're not as good as a lot of people either. And anyways, how good do you have to be? You see, just a wee, wee little bit of sin makes you as sinful and as bad as everybody else. The interesting thing is that when God looks at you, he doesn't measure to see how much sin there is compared to everybody else. I mean, if that were the case, then I'd have a hope. 
But the fact of the matter is, is just a little bit of sin is equal to a lot of sin. So what you and I need is we need a savior. We need Jesus to come into our lives and to wash away our sin. By the way, we call this the gospel, the good news. We were just at, we took the young people to a church in, uh, in Banff called the Full Gospel Church. And we came out, I was a little disappointed because we didn't hear any gospel. It's supposed to be a full gospel church, but there was no gospel. Hey, listen, this is in, this is in a lot of churches now. You can go to church, you'll get psychology lessons, you'll, get, you'll feel good, you'll get pumped up, you'll feel great about yourself, you'll have wonderful singing time. But folks, I'm going to tell you, the church is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. To forgive sins and to give you a new life. So the question that I have for you today is, have you made that step? Have you asked Jesus into your life? And if you have, then the next step is that you've got to go tell other people. In North America right now, the church is on a severe decline. We've stopped growing. And there's a reason we've stopped growing. It's because we have failed to keep in mind that our job is to win people to Christ, to introduce them to Jesus so that sinners can come and repent. Let me tell you a story. Luke 19, 1 to 10. It's a story of a very undesirable man who you would think God could never save this guy. Listen to this. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Everybody here loves to pay taxes, right? Yeah, nobody does. This guy, was, he was considered the scum of the earth. And I'll tell you why. Because, not just because he collected taxes, but because he, he was a Roman sympathizer. Does anybody ever heard of a Nazi sympathizer? Remember during the war and the Nazis invaded all of Europe and people in those countries that were invaded by the Nazis, some people there decided that they were going to profit from the invasion and they, they would take sides with the Nazis against their own people. They became called Nazi sympathizers and they were the most despised and hated people. And at the end of the war, these people, many of them were executed, shot, tortured. They went through terrible times the people hated their guts. Is there anybody more vile than a Nazi sympathizer? Well, that's exactly what we're talking here. Zacchaeus was like a Nazi sympathizer, only it was Rome. Rome had invaded Israel, and they were very cruel to the Israelites. And Zacchaeus was on their side. So you get the picture, right, what we're talking about. This man was despised and hated by everybody. In verse 3, it says he tried to get a good look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Can you just see it? All the crowd there, Jesus is coming along. Everybody spots Zacchaeus, and the taller guys are saying, put your shoulder together, don't let him see. They're all getting together there, kind of blocking the view of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is trying to, trying to see over the shoulders, the, the, the heads of the people. He can't get a view of Jesus. But he's a very smart dude. And so what he does is he looks around and says, well, how am I going to see Jesus? Then he calculates. 
Jesus is going this way, he'll be going that way, and he has to go that way. So I know there's a tree there, and he runs over to that tree, and he gets himself positioned in the tree so he can get a good look at Jesus because Jesus has got this amazing reputation as an awesome teacher, a teacher that preaches with authority. This is a teacher who actually raises the dead, and he heals sick people. And it's been said that he's walked on water, and he's multiplied loaves and fishes. Zacchaeus has got to see Jesus. He doesn't know what's going to happen when he sees Jesus, but he needs to see him because he's heard of the reputation of Jesus. So he gets himself in the tree. He's positioned to see this wonder, wonder worker, this amazing man named Jesus. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road because Jesus was going to pass that way. In verse 5, it says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. Can you just see that? All the people around Jesus, they're trying to touch him because they want to get healed and and they want to hear what he's got to say and they're asking questions and there's kids crying and there's women yelling at their kids, shut up. The teacher's trying to teach and the the fathers are trying to keep the wives quiet because they're making too much noise and and everybody's yelling and, and there's a commotion and they're following Jesus. And Zacchaeus thinks to himself, boy, this is a good location. Nobody can see me up here, but I can see everything. How many know you can't hide from God? And there's Jesus coming along here. He's answering that question, answering that one, touching that one, healing that one, answering this question, answering that question. He looks up. And Zacchaeus, like a deer in the headlights, like, he saw me. He spotted me. And here's what Jesus says. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' blood runs cold. His face turns white. The teacher knows his name. Zacchaeus. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus' legs turned to rubber. (laughs) He's a nervous wreck. The master's coming to my house. I don't deserve to have the master at my house. What am I going to do? What am I going to feed him? What do you feed Jesus? It says Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and in joy. Can't you just feel the adrenaline pumping? And you're like, well, I'm going to have Jesus for tea, Matt. I hope my biscuits aren't moldy. I hope the cheese is still good. But, but the people, the people were watching this. The people were following Jesus. The ones who actually deserved an audience with the king. They were extremely displeased, it says. Oh, this is what they said. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Not just any sinner. A notorious sinner. And they grumbled and they grumbled. Meanwhile... Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And he calls him Lord, calls Jesus Lord. Did you get that? He's not just a teacher. He's calling him Lord. He recognizes the authority, the heavenly authority that Jesus carries with him. An authority that comes from God the Father. He says, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. 
And if I've cheated people in their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. When did you ever know the government of Canada to give back four times? This doesn't happen. But I want you to recognize that Zacchaeus recognizes that Jesus is not just a savior. He is Lord and he's worthy of your obedience. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to do what he says. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus does. And here's Jesus' response. It's absolutely fantastic. He said, Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. What does that mean? Well, here's what you need to know. The reason that God chose Abraham in the first place is because Abraham was a man of faith. What does that mean? Very simply, it means this. Abraham believed God. God said to Abraham, I want you to leave your people, leave your homeland, leave all your possessions, leave it all behind, leave, leave your house behind and go to the place that I'm telling you to go. And Abraham says, where is that, Lord? And God says, you'll see. And what does Abraham do? He says, okay. Wife, Sarah, pack thing up. We're going. And the wife says, where are we going? And Abraham says, to Banff. No, he says, we're going on a journey and you'll find out. And Sarah says, good enough for me. I doubt that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think she's so quick to pack up. I think maybe she might have had a bit of an argument with him. But finally he said, you know what? God said it. And we're going to do it. I don't know where we're going. I don't know how we're going to get there. But uh, I'm not exactly sure what to expect on the way. But Abraham believed God. And the Bible says, because Abraham believed God, God counted that as righteousness. Now watch this, people. Those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ are righteous, not because we are so good or because we do good works. We are righteous first and foremost because we put our faith in Jesus. And what exactly is it that we're putting our faith in Jesus for? Here's what, here's what, here's what happens, folks. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine. Because you know that you're a sinner, I know I'm a sinner, I put my faith in Jesus. And I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for me. Do you believe today that Jesus died for you? By faith, you believe your sins are washed away because Jesus died for you. And that's why we're called sons of Abraham, daughters of Abraham. We are the sons. We are the daughters of God. Why? Because we put our faith in God. We trust him. We believe him. It has nothing to do with your good works. It has everything to do with your faith, your trust in God, your belief that God loves you and that God has given you a way out. He's given you a way out. He's given you eternal life. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus. Wow. Those who know they are sinners and, and need to repent are the ones that Jesus has come for. Those who are willing to put their faith in Jesus are the ones that then become part of the family of God. Now, I want you to see something really quickly. Look at this. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. He's not just any sinner. If he was just, a, if he was just an average sinner, the people would have been happy. I mean, and I don't know who, who it is that judges this. Who's the notorious sinners and who's just the good sinners? So I, I look out here today and I see some good sinners and some not so bad sinners. And I see some notorious sinners. No, it's nonsense. 
In God's eyes, we're all sinners in need of God's grace. But you see, we have this idea, this notion, that somehow God will accept us if we're good enough. God can't accept you unless you have repented. And so here's Zacchaeus, very, very ready, very prepared to repent and ask God to forgive him of his sins. Boy, Zacchaeus knew he was doing evil. He knew he was hated by all people. He knew that he might even be hated by God. But the fact is, is that God didn't hate him. And the fact is, is God doesn't hate you. You're here today and you've got a, just a boatload of evil in your life. And I want you to know that God loves you. That God has forgiven you. That God, through Christ, can wash all that away as though you've never sinned. All you have to do is come to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I'm repenting. I'm turning away from my sin and turning to you. I want to follow you, but I want to be set free of all my sin. That's why God sent Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. Do you know there's a whole world out there waiting for you to bring that good news to them? There's a whole world out there that's just waiting for someone to say, can I bring you to church? I'd like you to come and get to know my Jesus. There's all kinds of people out there that are like Zacchaeus, notorious sinners. We had some people in our first service came up to me, never been here before. They said to me, you know, as you were speaking about that Zacchaeus guy, did I say his name right? I said, yeah, you said it. You said it right. He said, I could relate to that. I had chills going up and down my spine, he said, or up and down my arms and all over. Because I, I could relate to Zacchaeus. That was me. I said, well, you want to know something? God loves you. And you're here this morning because God wanted you to be here to hear this sermon. I said, are you coming back? He said, yes. I said, well, I'm going to take you to Tony Roma's. Yes! Jackpot! Hey, do you know that's exactly what Jesus did to Zacchaeus? So only he didn't go to Tony Roma's because they didn't have Tony Roma's back then. But Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. So put the ribs on. We're going to have a party. There's people out there waiting for you. People you work with. People that are your neighbors, maybe people in your family. But in your mind, oh, they're notorious sinners. I can't have anything to do with them. They're notorious sinners. I can't be seen in public with them. They're waiting for you. They're waiting for you to reach out to them in love. Here's the problem with so many of us. We're prejudiced. We're prejudiced. We, we, get, we get these preconceived ideas in our minds about people. And you think, to, you think to yourself, well, I could see God saving him, but not her. Or she is, she is, she's hopeless. There's no hope for her. But for him, well, yeah, I guess we could see him saved. Jesus approached Zacchaeus not as a prejudiced savior. Aren't you glad that Jesus is not prejudiced? He looks at you and he says, here's somebody that could be my child, my son, my brother. And Jesus reaches out in love and says, you will be mine. <laughs> Have you ever written somebody off? One of the young people in our group, some of you know who he is. 
I said no smoking, no vaping, nothing. No substance abuse while you're on this trip. Because this is a Christian trip. Not in the vacation business. This is a Christian trip. And on this Christian trip, we are learning how to follow Jesus. And so I caught, I caught one of our guys bumming a cigarette off of somebody. I've got, I've got secret powers. I can see what's going on when nobody else can see it. Just like my dad. And I called him over and I said, hand it over. He handed it over. I gave it back to the guy he bummed it off of. And by the way, he bummed it off of somebody not in our group. I said, I don't want you to do that again. I'm going to send you home to Winnipeg. I'll take you to the airport in Calgary. You'll be gone. You're going home right away. The next day, I'm cruising up and down the street, just keeping an eye on our kids who are thinking, I'm, I'm free, I'm alone, nobody can see me, but they don't know. Pastor Allen is like the Holy Spirit everywhere. <laughs> and I see this kid doing it again, bumming a cigarette. I didn't say anything until I got back to the camp. When I got back to the camp, I said, pack your bags in the morning. I'm taking you home to the airport. The next morning, we had a meeting with our leaders. And I thought to myself, this kid is just, just so rebellious. Does not want to be here. And we called the male leaders together and met with him. It was very intimidating. And I said to him, why are you here? You don't want to be here. This is, this is not a vacation. I'm, I'm not in the vacation business. I'm trying to, I'm, we're here to learn what it means to follow Jesus. Can you tell me why I should let you stay? And we'll see what the judges say. He says, you know, I really do want to, I really do want this. And so, um, so I said, go sit over there. And we're, I'm going to talk to the judges and we'll decide what will happen. And the judges all said, yes, let's give him another chance. That night, we had a time of prayer together. That just, just this young man and myself, we, we had a time, to, a time of prayer together. And uh, he prayed and asked Jesus to come into his life. There's some kid you think, man, there's, that kid's got, there's no hope for that kid. You just can't see it. But suddenly, the Spirit of God moves in. He works in the power that you and I can only get a glimpse of. We can't even begin to understand that power of God that transforms people's lives. I want you to know something. When you and I feel prejudiced against somebody, and you think, man, that, can never, that kid will never get saved, that brother of mine, that sister of mine, that cousin, that boss, that workmate, God sees what you can't see. And you and I have got to be open. And loving and prepared to love everyone. You and I have got to learn what it means to use people's names. I, I, let's, just to quickly point that out. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus. Dale Carnegie in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies. Here's what he says. He says, a person's name is to him or her the sweetest, most important sound in any language. And I want you to know, I have a hard time remembering even my own kids' names. But I, I know all the names of all the kids that went to Banff. I even know little baby Caleb's name. I know them all. Why did I do it, even though it's so difficult? Because I know the power of using a person's name. 
You know, uh, that's what Jesus did. You know, if you actually look in the concordance of your Bible, you'd be shocked at the numbers of names that are listed in the Bible. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because in God's eyes, in God's heart, every person is important. Every person is special and precious to God. Isaiah says in Isaiah 49, verse 10, uh, 16, God says, see, I have written your name on the palms of my hand. God knows everybody's uh, name. He knows you by name because you, as an individual, are precious to God. Remember saying to Maddie in our car, Maddie, if you're the only sinner, Jesus Christ would come and die for you. And I've said that to every other person here today. God knows you by name. And I'm going to tell you, you need to reach out to people and understand each person's worth and call each person by name. I had a friend who uh, was uh, just one of those guys. He's a, he actually became a pastor. And he says, I can't remember anybody's name. I just call everybody Bob. I said, what do you call the women? Bob. Everybody's, everybody's just Bob. You can't be bothered learning anybody's name. It wouldn't surprise you to know that today he's not in the ministry. He said, I don't know why, but people just never took to me. I wasn't going to tell him that the reason is he just didn't love people. He didn't care about them. Do you know the names of the people you work with? Have you bothered getting to know them? The people you go to school with? Do you know the names of your neighbors? I can tell you right now that God knows them by name. And if you are going to be one of those people that wins people to Christ, then what you've got to do is you've got to learn their name. And you've got to use their name and call them by name. Sometimes if I meet you and I say your name about five or six times as in, the, in that introduction so that I don't forget your name. Because I know how very important it is. Jesus' method of winning people into the kingdom is by approaching everybody with no prejudice, believing that everyone has the potential to be saved. Jesus came at everybody and he knew their name. And the next thing which blows my mind is Jesus is ready to fellowship and and have a relationship with everybody. He says to Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I'm coming to your place to get something to eat. We're going to fellowship together. We're going to spend time eating together at the same table. Do you know that in, in Jewish tradition, you never eat with a sinner. You never sit down with somebody who's, who's a, who's a, a known sinner. Never mind somebody who's a notorious sinner, but you never fellowship with it. But there's Jesus breaking all the rules, loving everybody regardless of what they've said and what they've done. Let the Spirit of God speak to you now because God loves you today. He cares about you. And he wants you to become part of his family. I'd like you to stand with me, please. Would you read this last verse with me? For the Son of Man. Say it one more time. For the Son. Some people think that Jesus came just so that you could be rich and you could have a nice car and a nice house. That he, that Jesus became poor so that you could become rich. I've never seen such a perversion of Scripture. If you think that that's what it is. I'm going to tell you what Jesus came for. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. 
Now, please understand, once he saves us, he gives us a new life. He gives us a rich and satisfying life, an abundant life. And he gives us eternal life. Now, if by rich, if if you mean that by rich, then I'm in agreement. But understand that the whole point of Jesus coming to this earth, it's to save and find the lost. And the whole point of calling you into his kingdom is so that you could be his ambassadors and bring others into the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your spirit at work in this church. Thank you, God, for the people who are here today because someone cared enough to go pick them up and bring them to church. Thank you for those, for those who, who take seriously the call of God to win the lost. God, we pray right now that you would cause each and every one of us to be obedient to the call. That every one of us would recognize, Lord, that we are your ambassadors. We, you called us to go fishing and to bring people into your kingdom. And so, Father, we pray that Cross Church would always be a soul-winning church. That Cross Church would always be a place where notorious sinners are welcomed with open arms. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in our hearts. Thank you for what you've done in my heart. Thank you for what you've done in this church. Go with us as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Tell the person...